0: He just promised it. You don't know what's true anymore. It hurts me to see people burning the flag. Race relations. He me I can't have a gun. I just saw, like, the politics. Unbelievable. It's what you've been waiting for all day. America now. Buck Sexton with America now. Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind.
1: Strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton with America Now, here with you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Great to have you. As always, 844-900-2825, 844 buck You know, it's an advantage, I think, on most days. Uh, it's an advantage to have a little extra time. I know I'm, I'm going later in the day than some of the other news sources, whether on radio or TV or the Internet, that you may go to to keep you up to speed on everything. But I think it's an advantage because as an analyst by trade, a former CIA officer, as many of you listening know, CIA analyst, Counterterrorism Center and Office of Iraq Analysis, OIA, uh, someone who liked to have as much of the data, as much of the intelligence as possible before making any decision, I have the advantage here of seeing all of the different arguments, all of the revelations coming out about General Flynn's resignation. I've gone through a ton of it today, and I have to say I've been through a a bit of an evolution on the subject. Look, I never thought that this was someone—we talked about this last night. I knew something was up. We spent a lot of time on this show last night diving into this Flynn situation. I said— You will recall that I thought it was 50-50 that he would last. And within a couple of hours of the end of this show, he had resigned, which has set off a media fury and both sides now spending a lot of time trying to craft a narrative as to what led to all of this. And at first I thought to myself, well, this is, when you have Trump is the one who made the final decision, we know that. According to the administration, you had Sean Spicer giving a press conference today that it was, in fact, uh, a trust issue. And, And Can we play Spicer saying this just so we get this on the record? Sean Spicer, press conference. I watched it or listened to it live today. Here's what he had to say. Play it.
2: The irony of this entire situation is that the president has been incredibly tough on Russia. He continues to a- raise the issue of Crimea. That's tough on so Russia. That's the wrong clip. We're going to play the different clip
1: for you now. Do we have it? Do we have it? Yeah, We've been let's play it. we
2: reviewing and evaluating this issue with respect to General Flynn on a daily basis for a few weeks, trying to ascertain the truth. We got to a point not based on a legal issue, but based on a trust issue where the level of trust between the president and General Flynn had eroded to the point where he felt he had to make a change. The president was very concerned that General Flynn had misled the vice president and others. He was also very concerned in light of sensitive subjects dealt with by that position of national security advisors like China, North Korea, and the Middle East, that the president must have complete and unwavering trust for the person in that position.
1: Okay, so the Trump administration is saying that it was Trump's call here and that Flynn was allowed to resign, but he had to go. For a senior level government official, a cabinet official, the national security advisor, this is being fired, right? It's a gent it's a a courtesy to allow him to resign, but this is being fired. Okay. So you have a more or less fired national security advisor who lasted 24 days, I think it was, all these pieces about a shakeup in the NSC. And there's a lot of noise out there. It's hard, and I found myself trying to. Uh, dig through it, and also block out much of the propaganda that's out there because the media has been preparing for a while for this moment. The constant deluge of stories about Russia and the insinuations about uh, Trump connections to Russia, and the, just just asking questions. You know, this investigation is going on. That investigation is going on. Okay, I would like just one one bit of solid information that the Russians had compromised information on a senior member of the Trump team, or there was some way they'd be able to exert influence and expect that they could affect U.S. policy based on someone, whether it's Trump himself or one of his inner circle. Haven't haven't seen it. I am still waiting. And I am well aware of the fact that there are some former Trump associates that are under investigation by the FBI. But that... Also, as far as we know, hasn't come up with anything. And those are former associates, not current associates of the Trump administration. So you've got this kaleidoscope view. It's very hard. Uh, and, And even I spend a lot of my time trying to make sure that I don't adopt some of the narratives that they want you to right off the bat stories about a White House in disarray, stories about a Trump administration that has infighting. There's chaos. There's no clear messaging. It's amateur hour that day after day after day. And so when finally you have a high level resignation like this. Michael Flynn, um, you uh, a general who served his country honorably for decades. It's understandable, I think, to jump to the conclusion, well, there must be something really wrong here. But the more I dig into this, the more I look at it, I see a, an honorable man who got caught up in a political war. And he's used to the battlefield. He's used to being an intelligence officer and understanding that there's his team, there's the good guys, and there's the enemy. What I don't think he was prepared for was the Democrat Party working with the media working with the permanent bureaucracy inside the government, because it looks like all three were in concert in order to oust him, and he was just the first target. There will be more. There will be others that they go after. Just look at, if by way of comparison, look at the way that they managed to go after Scooter Libby. Ruin the, try to ruin that man's life. He did nothing wrong. He didn't leak anyone's name. That was a li- That's a lie that's still perpetrated to this day by many, including people who think they are informed journalists. That is a lie. He did not leak any CIA agent, uh, undercover agent, officer actually in our parlance. We don't call them agents. Uh, didn't leak the name. He was found guilty of misremembering a conversation, according to the jury, uh, with a journalist two years ago. And they prosecuted him for that. We all know what that was about. They were going after Cheney. They thought they had Cheney. The best they could do was get a senior member of Cheney's staff on a procedural violation, really, on endless questioning. And, oh, we finally got him. He had a conversation with Russert. Russert said he said the name first and Libby said he said the name first. And we can convince the jury that Libby's a bad guy. The Iraq war, Bush, Bush, bad, bad. Let's get let's get somebody. And that's what they did. And the left upholds that whole thing like it was some sort of victory. It was an absolute disgrace. And I will say it now because it bears repeating. It was disgraceful for the Bush administration, too. They left a man out on the political battlefield. They left him with a commutation in the end. They should have pardoned him. But they didn't because Bush lost his nerve. That's just the truth of the matter. I was in government at the time. I remember how it all went down. I even had a little special view of things, and I'd also add for our discussion today that I have the benefit sitting here with you of seeing everything that's out there, all the people I know who are smart, all the people I know who have a platform that they shouldn't have, but gives them undue influence in the conversation. From all the different aspects of this, all the different angles you can look at, I can sit here now and tell you that there is a lot of information out there and a lot of conclusions that are false that are untrue that are unfair also very few people i think you'll be hearing from in the media have held the top secret clearance themselves have spent time in the nsc have spent time at langley all many of the different three-letter agencies and have an understanding of how that game is played from inside the permanent bureaucracy i saw it myself many times and when we're discussing things like the classified nature of the leaks that brought down, that brought down Flynn, um, I have to tell you, th- this, is, this is pretty mind-blowing. Eli Lake, among all the pieces I read today, uh, one of the best ones, if not the best, was Eli Lake, who's an excellent national security journalist, a real journalist, you know, a, a big J journalist, and he wrote a column for Bloomberg View, And it's called The Political Assassination of Michael Flynn. Here's what he wrote in part. Normally, intercepts of U.S. officials and citizens are some of the most tightly held government secrets. This is for good reason. Selectively disclosing details of private conversations monitored by the FBI or NSA gives the permanent state the power to destroy reputations from the cloak of anonymity. This is what police states do. End quote. Bravo to Eli Lake. He's absolutely right. Everyone has been told to worry about Trump and authoritarianism and the coming police state from the right wing, and yet it's actually the Obama White House in its final weeks working with people inside the DOJ, the intelligence community, and, of course, all of their buddies and channels in the media to take out their first major target of the Trump administration, and they have been successful. They have been successful, and this will only breed more of this kind of assault on the administration. You can expect that much. All right, I've got a lot more on this. And by the way, we have an absolutely packed show tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking to you, of course, about this issue, including joined—we're going to be joined shortly by somebody who has a, a story up on how there was a pro-Iran deal cabal from within the Obama administration that was quarterbacking this whole anti Flynn efforts, specifically going after General Flynn. We'll have him on. We'll also have Michael Goodwin from the New York Post talking about the latest in politics, joined by a former leftist who's come out as a conservative. He is a uh, an openly gay, now conservative. He's come out and he says that it was like coming out to his parents that he was gay. That's what it's like coming out as a conservative now. In the current political climate, we'll also get Mark Krikorian on from the Center for Immigration Studies on those immigration and customs enforcement raids. I got a ton of show. Buck Sexton with America Now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Buck Sexton with America Now. It's not enough. It's not enough that they have uh, taken General Flynn out of his job, that they've gotten him fired. They want to at least create the perception that he should be prosecuted. I bring you the New York Times uh, right now. Main story on the website. FBI interviewed Flynn in Trump's first days in office, according to officials. So they say right after Trump took office, FBI agents sat down with General Flynn and they say right in the second paragraph, quote, if the authorities conclude that Mr. Flynn knowingly lied to the FBI, it could expose him to a felony charge. Okay, so they're openly trying to get the Scooter Libby situation going here. That was, that was the scalp they were able to get during the Bush administration. They wanted Cheney. That's what the whole thing was about. Oh, they made this ridiculous movie. Oh, she's been outed. What's, she, what's going to happen now? It uh, had nothing to do with Scooter Libby. He didn't out anybody. They, all, they, they knew that from the beginning of the investigation, by the way. Go back and read about it. You see that it wasn't Libby. It was Armitage, and it was a mistake. Okay. It was an accident. Accidents happen in these circumstances. Sometimes people do make mistakes, but Scooter Libby wasn't trying to put any covert, covert officer in danger. That's not what happened, but that became the story. The media went with it. They made a terrible movie about it. It was all crap. It was not true. It was not true, but people still believe it to this day because that's how effective the narrative writers in the media are on these issues. I do think that perhaps we have gotten, not complacent, but we thought, well, Trump was able to withstand the most withering assaults the media could throw at him for the entirety of the primary and then the general, and ever since he won every day since then, so maybe he's invulnerable, maybe his administration can just stand tall and take everything they've got. Well, over the long run, maybe, but right now... They have taken a hit. They've taken a hit. That much we can, I think, all agree on. I'm not sure what the calculation here is for the president. I I don't know. To me, given what I know now, look, last night as as this came out, I was thinking, well, he lied. The Trump people think he lied. It's a problem for them. Why would he lie about this? But the more you look at it, you see that, well— This creates a problem for the administration regardless, and he didn't take into account that there would be people inside the Department of Justice who, and somebody with access to signals intelligence transcripts, very, very classified stuff. Oh, and all the Democrats with their national security, we care so much about it. Yeah, they want to protect sources and methods. Sources and methods go out the window the moment you can get a prominent Republican, especially with this administration, in trouble. Oh, they they burned, they they burned that they had this ambassador's phone. People say, oh, everybody knows. Well, if everybody knows, you know, somebody can just then start leaking whatever transcripts they want of any of these conversations. Say, yeah, come on, everybody knows. No, I thought there were rules. I thought this was protected under federal statute. It used to be the case that Anybody who wanted to hear anything from a. US citizens' phone call, if it went through the national security went through national security collection measures, we were absolutely freaked out about that. Oh, you can't be swooping up, uh, you know, hoovering up like a vacuum, all these phone calls. we can't have that. even if it's accidental. Oh, well here a phone call got swooped up and they used it for very clear political purpose. This is a scandal, and it was an orchestrated attack, and we'll have somebody joining shortly who will talk about what his findings are on who orchestrated it and why and how how far back this stretches. Flynn was a big target. He was speaking about intelligence community reform. The bureaucrats don't like that. Flynn was a big target because he was tied to the Trump administration, and yes, at the Republican convention, I believe— Memory serves. He was saying, lock her up about Hillary. This was payback. And I just find it rich and and deeply unsettling that we're all supposed to be terrified of the horrific totalitarian impulses of the Trump administration. Oh, we're going to be there's going to be camps and they're going to be rounding us up and they're going to be deporting everybody. They're going to just be deporting people for being Democrats. They're going to deport everybody. Oh, there's so much hysteria over this. It's it's inescapable now, too. You you can't you can't walk past a Democrat, a liberal, a leftist without them blurting out some obscenity about how terrible Trump is. You, you, you can't even have a moment of peace from this, no matter where you are, school, work, maybe in the privacy of your own home. Hopefully, if none of your relatives or no visiting friends have also been suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. But that's what's going on right now. But. You're told Trump is so terrifying on this, and yet it is the American deep state working with a bunch of holdovers in the Obama administration and their preferred outlets in the media to create an unwinnable situation for Flynn. I would like to see what was said in this transcript. I do think that President Trump, he has the authority to, sources and methods are already gone. There's a phone call. The phone call was intercepted. Uh, everybody knows what the day was, everybody knows who was on the phone, and now they know what was settled. So what are we protecting at this point? Just give us the verbatim of the transcript. If they have to redact some of it, although that would probably create some conspiracy theories in and of itself, okay, redact some of it. Go for it. But let's see it. I have a feeling that there won't need to be, there will be minimal, if any, redactions, and then we can know, was this really a big deal? Why was the FBI even investigating Flynn for this. What was the point of that? Who decided that that was a worth, whether investigating him, interviewing him, maybe it wasn't an open criminal investigation, it was just an interview, but nonetheless, the Logan Act is preposterous, would not withstand judicial scrutiny, I, I promise you. And if it would, I can go down a whole list of people from Jimmy Carter to Ted Kennedy to Nancy Pelosi, who blatantly ran afoul of it. In much more egregious ways than anything that could have been said on this phone call, so the phone call is not a problem. From what I can tell, the f- the content's not a problem. But why did the Trump team push for Flynn to resign? Have they been under so much pressure? And I worry have they been under so much pressure, continuously, relentlessly, that they just caved? More coming.
0: Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on.
1: This was clearly a political hit against Flynn. I'm not saying that he didn't make a mistake in not coming clean with Trump and The other senior administration figures, and I can understand why Pence would be annoyed based on what we've been told. But it was a political hit. There were people going after him, and it was also payback. Where did this come from? Well, we've got our friend Adam Credo joining now from the Washington Free Beacon. He has a story up on FreeBeacon.com right now. Former Obama officials, loyalists, waged secret campaign campaign to oust Flynn. He's got some sources that are fascinating on this one. Adam, thank you for joining. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we've been assuming for a while, I think, Adam, at least I have, I can't speak for everyone else, but assuming that there was a a hidden hand behind much of this anti-Flynn stuff, uh, that there must be some group of individuals who are coming together trying to uh, create a circumstance where exactly what has happened would happen which is that Flynn would have to resign and your sources and your national security reporter for the, for the Free Beacon your sources tell you that there were obama loyalists that were behind this tell us about it
3: that's that's absolutely right and i think there's many pieces to what's going on here look i think that we've uh gotten ourselves into a situation where it's very difficult to defend Flynn Himself, But nevertheless, there is a larger story to be told, and a piece of this is that anonymous intelligence community uh, leaking and passing things on to Obama loyalists so that they could place it in the news media. And that's exactly what we've seen here with Flynn, and it started really back in December when the appointment of Flynn was announced. Um, A lot of these Obama administration national security guys and loyalists – Already didn't like the guy they knew he was going to get in there and try to unravel the deal they did with Iran and release a lot of the hidden things about the deal that still publicly has not come out because it's classified so this campaign against Flynn started then and we saw the news media um, uh, the mainstream media I think your CBS is your NBC CNNs, organizations of this sort running stories against Flynn well Who planned these? These are the same people who planted the stories for the Obama administration misleading America about the context of the Iran deal. They were getting their information from people in the IC, in the intelligence community, who hated Flynn already, and they were strategically using it and leaking it to the news media. That's how we find ourselves in the situation we have now where someone like Flynn is forced to uh, resign.
1: Now, you mentioned specifically in your piece that uh, Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications, quite a title, uh, Ben Rhodes, under the Obama administration, is said to have been included in this. And he was at at the heart of and the one who disclosed publicly the effort within the Obama administration to use the press to create a specific perception, this would be called information operations, by the way, in a military or intelligence context, but to create the echo chamber effect for the Iran deal, such that the media made it a binary choice. You're either for the Iran deal or you're for war with Iran. And every time you'd have anybody going on TV that was trying to point out the Iran deal was bad, it was, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Do you think we should bomb Iran tomorrow? Do you think we should invade? And and that was the way that it it was handled. Uh, ben Rhodes, at the heart of this thing, makes it seem obviously very political and very, very politicized. Adam, did we? Did you disappear? Um, Adam, we can't hear you, buddy. So I don't know what happened. We lost you, and I wanted to hear more about your story, but uh, we'll have to just talk about. Let me know if we get him back on the line. I don't know. I don't know where he went. Uh, he just he just dropped off. Maybe the maybe the you know the NSA was listening in and knocked him off there. Just kidding. That would never happen. The NSA would never be involved in intercepting a U.S. person's communication because that wouldn't happen. That's not a thing that goes on anywhere. Uh, Let's take John in Mississippi. John, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome.
4: Hey, um, I heard the conversation you just had and you mentioned this guy Rhodes. Um, He was also the guy that, now this is not what I was going to talk about originally, but Ben Rhodes was the guy that wrote the emails to uh advise uh Rice, the ambassador to the UN, that went on the Sunday shows because Hillary doesn't like the Sunday shows and said that uh, the ta- the attacks in Benghazi were uh spontaneous as a result of a video, Well, it was Ben Rhodes behind that strategy of lying and the president Obama uh followed that advice and went on uh public- publicly to uh, accuse uh the attack on the embassy in Benghazi and the death of the ambassador and the two soldiers. That was because of a video. Well, Ben Rhodes was behind that. And it's people like Ben Rhodes, I believe, they get into the current topic about Flynn. It's people like that that are left behind deliberately by the outgoing administration who are planning to attack Trump any way they can. If they could find Somebody, in the administration that dropped litter, they would make a fuss over that, and they're they're prepared to posture in front of the cameras and feign outrage and disgust and say we've got to launch an investigation now. What did they know, and when did they know it? That type of thing. They're all set up. Oh,
1: with- I know. It's all it's Watergate all over with, with the left. Any a Republican's in trouble, it's Watergate. <laughs> That's always that, you know. Yeah. This is Gate, right. apparently. But yeah,
4: yeah, this is. Okay, it's just all trumped up. It's no big deal, but it alerts us that there are moles like crazy in government ready to work with the leftists and the media to attack Trump. And they succeeded in uh, destroying the trust that Trump had with Flynn. Uh, we don't know whether Flynn lied about the conversations he had uh, with the Russian about the sanctions. We don't know if he mentioned it and forgot. He knew that his phone call was monitored, so he really couldn't blatantly lie unless he knew that it was not likely that anybody would ever show that transcript of the phone call to to, to somebody like the vice president or Trump or well, the this, FBI. I,
1: I hear you. I hear you, John. You know, John. Thank you very much for calling in from Mississippi. I want to address a, a bunch of your points here. First of all, uh, that, that there would be when you when you look at what's uh, when you look at what's going on here, you have a a precedent that has been set, where a, a the the outgoing administration will use its access to highly classified information to embarrass the incoming administration by illegally and it is a federal crime, it is a felony to disclose, in this case, top secret information to the press in this way so somebody committed a federal felony here i'm sure a number of people did and you can say oh well the truth justifies it in this case uh, well what first of all what about the dnc and the podesta emails there there were journalists who didn't want to cover them because they were illegally obtained well it wasn't us persons who had illegally obtained them it was russians overseas well what what is that have, what are we going to do about that but you look at this situation now and you've got people with the access who are breaking the law in order to harm the incoming administration, and that is, well, it's a crime. It is literally a crime. It's not like a crime in the general, in the, uh, you know, in in the sense of it's a bad thing that they've done. This is, this is openly and patently illegal. All right, uh, Adam Credo from the Free Beacon is back. Adam, sorry we lost you there for a second. So, but give us some more Would details of what you. What you me, Buck. I'm sorry, sir. Did you hang up on me? No, I I would never do such. We don't. We, we take care of our guests here in the Freedom Hut, sir. Uh, so, but oh, you were telling uh, Ben Rhodes, you've got these Obama loyalists. W- what else can you tell us about the effort to get Flynn out, based on your sources I, I, in DC?
3: Yeah, I think there's a really uh, much deeper, important story here that I was trying to tell you before I lost you. And that's the influence of the intelligence community. These are anonymous faceless people that um, can do things like intercept Flynn's phone calls and give intelligence briefings that might be skewed about him. And this is how that information about him really got out there. Um, It originated with this IC community that has always kind of had it out for Flynn. Um, I don't think I need to remind people all the stories about the uh, wars he had and the way that he actually left the intelligence community. So in many ways, this is a personal campaign against him. But it raises a much larger question about a national security police state. Are we going to let these people pick and choose who they think should be running the intelligence community? That's a role for the president, and I think that's what's really at stake here with Flynn. Whether you like the guy or you don't, you should not, as a colleague of mine in uh, The Week magazine put it, you should not be cheering the way he was brought
1: down. Absolutely not, and and we have to establish as well that the standard – in this instance seems to be, well, if there's, if, if there's classified information that you have access to that will embarrass the Trump administration, you can disclose that, even if it's a U.S. person making a phone call overseas and it's going to blow sources and methods. And think about that precedent now. Uh, where else can you—it was embarrassing conduct, perhaps, but not illegal conduct— so now whenever there's access to a transcript of a phone call a U.S. person makes, a U.S. official makes, that's embarrassing. That can be disclosed? Well, th- why do we have classification rules at all?
3: Precisely. It's extremely frightening in that sense that a very select few could actually lay the groundwork to eject a top national security official handpicked by a U.S. president. And again, it goes across party lines it's not whether you like trump or dislike trump this is something that could be done with any president if these officials uh wanted to and that's what we saw here so i think the fear going forward is that um how much longer do we let these guys operate in the cover of dark and really create like i said this weird national security police state where these select few who have access to the classified documents are going to say, well, I don't like this guy, so I'm going to leak something to uh, former Obama administration people and let them put it out in the media. Um, I, I find that to be a very scary
4: situation.
1: I, I agree with you, and it's we've heard, like I've been saying, we've heard so much in recent weeks about a police state and authoritarianism. It is a terrifying prospect that we now live in a country where individuals within the national security establishment that have access to the most sensitive collection platforms in the United States government will take it upon themselves to share that publicly, not because it exposed. There wasn't some human rights violation here. There wasn't a massacre that needed to be uncovered. There wasn't speaking truth to power. It was embarrassing. That's the standard. It It embarrassed General Flynn, and now it's embarrassed the administration, and so he's got to go. But we got to go, too, unfortunately, into a break here, my friend Adam. Adam Credo. Freebeacon.com is the website. He is the national security reporter there. And his piece is former Obama officials wage secret campaign to oust Flynn. Buck Sexton with America Now is just getting going. We'll be right back. So the standard, as I was saying before, is that if you've got access to classified information that hurts a Republican, then embarrasses a Republican, remember, then you can release it. I'm not saying that there's the open, uh, the, the open decision that this is legal, but no, no one's going to be held accountable for this. They're not going to find out who did this. There's no way. Not going to happen. Also worth noting that the Obama administration invoked the Espionage Act more than every administration before it combined. So you've got President Obama, and you've got a whole lot of presidents before him, and you add up all the Espionage Act prosecutions under those presidents, and it's not as many as how many Obama did. And I was saying at the time, and I stand behind this, that it was because Obama and the DOJ wanted to send a message right from the start. You leak, you go to prison, because when you're in the the White House and you're the president, the assumption is unless it's a leak that they bless, which, of course, Obama did that too— Uh, or his White House did that too. Unless it's a leak that they want out there, it's a leak that damages. Leaks can be very harmful to administrations and personnel within them. And in this instance, I have to say, uh, we have seen the elevation of what is a a minor incident into some sort of (laughs) fabricated national crisis. General Flynn speaking to the Russian ambassador and saying, that there's going to be a different relationship, or give it a few weeks, or whatever.
2: Ooh, what are we gonna do?
1: It's so terrifying. And you have the media practically speaking about this as though we're waiting for a, a Russian invasion of this country. You know, and any day now, you know, the, the Russians are coming over the ridge. Uh, we, we gotta we gotta man the barricades. That's not going to happen, as you know. But there's this frenzy around all things russia because well let's also keep in mind that they believe that trump and russia stole the future from the democrat party from hillary from the left they're not going to forgive that anytime soon they're not going to forget they have no intention of trying to move forward and get the Trump administration to do things that would just benefit all Americans. There must be some issues where there could be common ground with the Democrats. Have you even heard a peep about that? Anything at all? Are you seeing any stories from prominent Democrats, whether elected officials or journalists or people with followings in the media, who are saying, you know, I just wish Trump would look at this issue and we could all agree that this needs to be tackled? Nope. It's all... Russia hacking, fake news, Trump is the worst, Trump's a buffoon, Trump's a racist, Trump's a misogynist, all the time. And it is tiring. But I suppose, in a sense, this is a good reminder for everybody that the Democrat media complex remains a very powerful, a very powerful adversary. And unfortunately, General Flynn has found out that, you know, the Russians play dirty, but so do the Democrats, Not in the same way, but they have their own way. And we're never going to get to the bottom of this. I'm sure the people that released this information out there were smart enough to cover their tracks. And they've been able to elevate what is really a non-story. Anybody who brings up the Logan Act, you should laugh. You're bringing up a law that's never been used in history. Who, Who thinks they could get a prosecution under that? Who would even investigate it? Uh, this is complete and utter nonsense and people say oh well but buck it's still on the books yeah you know so is the if you're in this country illegally you should be deported law that's current federal immigration law it's been tested in the courts been used a lot many times uh, under the obama administration too i might add uh, but we're being told constantly to ignore that you know let's ignore federal immigration law but the logan act from 1799 that's that's where we draw the line that is sacred stuff I don't think so. I don't think so. This is really troubling. Um, I do think the administration is going to be able to rebound from it. I do think that there is uh, going to be a good national. I'm, I, I'm sensing they're moving away from the Petraeus replacement. That would be that's disaster. I mean, that's a non-starter. You can't elevate somebody in the NSA who as uh, in the NSA role who as has been pointed out. Countless times already on social media, uh, is going to have to check in with his parole officers. Hey, uh, parole officer, I, I'm going to become national security advisor. Is that cool? I, I'm sure the parole officers say, "Yeah," but wow, we must really have a hard time finding people. So that's—I don't think Petraeus is going to. That's that's not going to work, and it's not acceptable to have somebody whose job is the protection of information. Who just evaded felony charges? But what he did was pretty bad when you look into it in terms of protecting information. Uh, he's not going to be NSA, but some of the other choices look excellent, and they'll have a better NSA, I think, or they'll have a good NSA going forward. Uh, but just this was not a shot—a shot across the bow for the administration. It was a shot into the bow, and they—they they took a loss here, and we'll have to see what happens. We got more coming. Stay with me.
0: The things that matter most in your day to day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's, why. that's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton.
1: Welcome back to Buck Sexton with America Now. We're joined by Michael Goodwin. He's a New York Post columnist and Fox News contributor. Michael, great to have you. Thank you, Buck. Uh, Michael. What happened here? Last 24 hours, we've got an NSA resigning. You've got uh, the, the media in a frothy mouth uh, frenzy over Russia connections, and we found out that there's been the leaking of classified information to take down an administration official that perhaps even tied to senior Obama administration officials. Looks like it certainly did, in my opinion. What is going on here?
5: Well, look, I, I would say first that uh, I, clearly I believe President Trump made the right decision in uh, dismissing General Flynn. Uh, the idea that he lied to the vice president, and if I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, but I suspect he may have also lied to Trump at some point, too, because for Sean Spicer and others to come out and say he, the trust was eroded – uh, to where he could no longer serve. So I, I believe something happened that we don't know about yet with Flynn. And then Spicer also hinted that there were other things besides the lying to Pence. So I just think that it was clearly time for Flynn to go. And, look, Flynn, Flynn carried a lot of baggage. Uh, as you suggest, he may well have been taken out by a targeted leak uh, of, of the of the phone call with the Russian ambassador, but let's remember that um, we don't know what actually was said at that on that phone call. But it's the lying to Pence, I think, was really a fatal mistake on Flynn's part. So I. But what, I, See, I, this I, I, is I, and I, the
1: administration, Michael, is is saying that right. So this is this yeah. is the official line now. They're saying that they lost confidence and they lost trust in him, and that's essential. Okay, why would Flynn lie to Pence about this? The whole, the, the, as you know, the Logan Act thing—that's that's just not going to be anything. The, the Logan Act was was not; there weren't going to bring a prosecution against him for the Logan Act. That's nonsense. Um, so why would why would he lie? This is what I keep getting stuck on. Was it just a an error in judgment, or was there some reason you think that he lied?
5: Well, um, I can only imagine that it was an error in judgment. Uh, I mean, the you know, Pence. Pence was humiliated by that lie. I mean, it called into question Pence's credibility. So it was a, if it was an error in judgment, it was a very big one. And so I, I think that was, uh, again, and I think that, uh, you know, every, everybody today, the Democrats especially, with Elijah Cummings trotting out uh, what did the president know and when did he know it, and the New York Times using that on the headline on page one, I mean, they're all trying to make this, you know, the next Watergate. So, I think that uh Trump, in getting rid of Flynn and for the reasons he did it i I think is very important to explaining this story and so uh, i I'm at this point I'm prepared to take them at their word, and we do know that that Pence defended him publicly, and we do know that uh, Flynn, in his own words, then apologized, and we do know the White House says it was a lie, and therefore he had to be fired so I'm I'm ready to stand behind that sequence of events. I think that's enough for me. I think the Democrats, of course, and the media want to make it something bigger and want to link it to all of their own allegations that Trump has a secret pact with Vladimir Putin. Um, look, I mean, I, I think that that's chasing a wild goose, but that's their wild goose and they want to chase it. I do. I am.
1: Could I could I just could I just play for you, Elijah, Representative Elijah Cummings today, saying that Flynn was secretly communicating with Russia. Um, This is the claim that he's out there now making uh, at the same time that Russia was attacking our democracy. Go.
6: Flynn was secretly communicating with Russian officials at the same time that Russia was attacking our democracy. Flynn may have violated the Logan Act by discussing the sanctions imposed by the United States in response to Russia's attacks. We have no idea why Flynn was doing all of this and why he was trying desperately to help Russia.
1: Okay. First of all, is he aware of phone calls that we're not aware of? Because there's one phone call that we know of here um, that that was the problem with the discussion of of sanctions, allegedly, right? We haven't seen the transcript. Uh, saying that he s- was secretly communicating with them, does he mean making a phone call? To I, I, what is Elijah Cummings even talking about? Really, it seems like we're not focusing on the same. We're we're not talking about the same news story. Uh, and and also, of course, the Logan Act is just this is a throwaway, and the media keeps using this. I think, as a justification, you know, it's, oh, there was criminal activity. That's what had to be exposed with the classified leak. It wasn't criminal activity. The classified leak, that is criminal activity.
5: That's right. And, of course, we're not talking about that so much today, are we? We're only talking about Flynn. And, look, uh, again, I think this is, this is why the Democrats want to make it something it's not. Um, it is the lie to Pence. It's not the phone call to the Russian ambassador, as Spicer said, uh, Flynn, with the president's authorization, spoke to 30 countries during the transition, which is the job he would be doing. He was reaching out to his counterparts uh, in those other countries. Uh, I think that's that's what you would hope he would be doing. Um, and, and secondly, it's not about it's not even whether sanctions were discussed. None of that is wrong. Uh, it is simply the lie to Pence, and of course, that's what uh, Elijah Cummings doesn't want to except as the reason he wants to make it something else i thought it was a fairly shameless performance by democrats because you go you go crying wolf all the time that everything is watergate uh pretty soon you you look pretty foolish yourself and you end up having no credibility but of course that's where they are anyway
1: your latest piece is clinton reminds us switching gears here for a second clinton reminds us why we're lucky she lost the election Oh how did she do this? I mean for me it's every time she says anything but how did she do this in this case?
5: The 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 mere the mere uh, uh mention of her name huh but uh look when she tweeted out on the ninth circuit uh, re- uh continuation of the stay 3 to 0 uh meaning the three judge panel uh my for me it was a perfect reminder that these are the kinds of judges she would be appointing To every court in the land Including the Supreme Court These are the judges who don't really follow the law They follow their politics You know, they're kind of They're not that interested in the Constitution It's just an old piece of parchment Uh, So these are the kinds of judges Who just make it up as they go along To fit their own agenda Or to fit somebody else's agenda Not the Constitution And I think Neil Gorsuch uh, The justice that the the President nominated for the Supreme Court Is a direct Refutation of that. Neil Gorsuch would never be nominated by Hillary Clinton because she doesn't like constitutionalists.
1: Michael Goodwin is a New York Post columnist and Fox News contributor. Check out his latest on NewYorkPost.com. Michael, thank you for calling in tonight. Great to have you. My
5: pleasure, Buck. Thank you.
1: All right, team. Phone lines are open 844 900 2825. That's 844 Buck, B U C K. Got a lot more show, and we'll be back in just a few. Buck Sexton with America Now, back with you all. Phone lines open 844 900 2825. Oh man, the, the rules are constantly changing, aren't they? Uh, what we can say, when we can say it. One of the reasons I think that there's support for Trump and his, oh, An unorthodox style of communicating in the political world everyone's just constantly sick of it and you have al franken who went on tv earlier in the week i think it was maybe last week and said that he thought that the president the commander-in-chief was mentally unstable that's what he was saying or that he said and then he goes and says now that he doesn't like Trump's uh, nickname for Elizabeth Warren, which is, I think he either calls her Pocahontas or Focahontas, I believe, says it's racist. Play it.
7: What's your response when you see that Pocahontas is now the face of your party? I
8: heard this from a, a couple of my colleagues who were there, and I, I would have said something. I mean, I'm not. What would you have said? I said, Mr. President, with all due respect, that's racist. Don't please stop doing that. Uh, I am on Indian affairs. This is completely unacceptable.
1: It's racist. Well, first of all, here we have a sitting senator who says the president's mentally unstable. Who will start a will start a a at least theoretical sentence with with all due respect. We know there is there's no respect. They have absolutely zero respect and whether it's Al Franken or this, what is it, this punk who writes for the New York Times who was saying that Melania Trump is a, quote, hooker, Uh, this is what's out there. Or or the other journalist who made a comment about Trump's, uh, a a horrific comment about Trump's 10-year-old son. With all due respect, I don't think that Democrats are really allowed to say that before they say anything to this president or anybody who works for him, for that matter. There is no respect. Uh, They have nothing but disdain and utter and complete contempt for President Trump and those who are in his White House and around him and trying to spread his message. We are the losers here. We're the American people. That's a big part of the problem for me. We have spent a week now, or we will spend at least a good portion of this week as a country focus not on the discussions about the future and policy and changes that can make people's lives better. And you know what? Sometimes action is just a good thing from the White House, and I'm not in favor of endless government meddling in everything we do in every aspect of our lives. I'm obviously not a progressive. I'm a conservative. But sometimes you at least want to try to fix the problem to see, if, well, maybe this doesn't work, but something else will. But Inaction can be when there is a real problem and there's urgency or there are people who are suffering and need help. Inaction is a terrible choice. Inaction is the thing you want to avoid and delay. People also suffer because of delay. This president was elected in office so that he could enact policies. He could go forward with plans that are supposed to have a dramatic impact on the lives of millions of Americans. And we'll make the economy stronger. And yes, I know this is where it sounds like if I were an official Trump spokesperson, I'd say, well, he'd make America great again. But I I don't I don't have pom poms over here. I'm not I'm not a I'm not leading some sort of rally for Trump. But I do think that it's worth pointing out. That we will lose days here arguing with each other, not you and me, but across the country with the competing media narratives of, what is worse? Is it worse that the Trump administration had somebody who, well, the the Trump team is saying he lied, so I guess I can say he lied or he misspoke or was untruthful. Let's say that. He was untruthful to senior members of the administration, and that was a problem. Uh, And then he made a phone call to a Russian ambassador. We don't know the full extent of the conversation, but we have some leaked, uh, illegally leaked information about what was said. What's worse, that or on the other side, that there was a concerted effort between people inside government with classified access, the Obama White House and designated press outlets to bring down a senior administration official and to do so by using intercepted conversations uh, from signals intelligence People breaking their oaths and breaking the law. We can we'll debate this, which is worse. But we should also be clear about the fact that for every day we do that, we are not working on issues that could make this country better for all of us to live in, and that's a shame. And the Democrats offer up, as you see here with this uh, this Franken exchange, the same big bowl of nothing, Uh, no solutions. No offerings. And people say, oh, Buck, they're not in power. They can't enact any of these solutions. Well, they could offer ideas that if people liked, <laughs> if, if they were smart enough and if they made enough sense, maybe they would be adopted at least partially by the Trump administration. But instead, you got Franken here grandstanding about how Trump is racist. And and with all, d- with all due respect, Senator Franken, you have no respect. He acts like a jerk. And now he wants to pretend that he's above uh, calling Elizabeth what is it, Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas or Focahontas it's It's not racist because Elizabeth Warren is not Native American. so can we can we get beyond this pretense and that a the top of the Democrat Party's progressive wing right now, I guess you could say it's a struggle between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren is somebody who perpetuated what is really a race fraud? For her own benefit, and it's quite obvious, you you look at her ascent into Harvard Law School as a professor. I think the professors there make about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Nice to be tenured and making two hundred and fifty k. I'd take that setup. That sounds really good to me. Uh, her background was nowhere near what it should have been for her to be a professor at Harvard University Law School. Not that there aren't a lot of big phony lawyers teaching in all these places these days. I mean, just, the leftist indoctrination. We had our friend Ben Shapiro on the phone earlier in the week, and he went to Harvard Law School. Uh, I have a family member now in law school. You go down the line. This is now the campuses are completely overrun, and they have become little authoritarian laboratories, little factories of left wing orthodoxy, all the way up now through the professional schools, MBA programs, uh, JD programs, getting your law, getting your law degree. Um, but Elizabeth Warren is a phony, and Trump calling that out to anybody who's being honest about it is just the sort of thing that the American people finally want to hear. We really don't want to be lectured by somebody about wealth inequality who who used fraud in the system, who lied about things. And for anybody who says, oh, that's not what happened, it's not a big deal, look at the response you would get from any liberal, whether it's Al Franken or anybody else, look at the response you'd get if you said you know i really want to get into this very elite school elite graduate program and so i just i just thought i would check the box for african-american even though i'm not people would lose their minds on you i mean the left would would completely freak out they would say how dare you how dare you appropriate another ethnicity and and i would say you know it's it's not, not a cool thing to do, although I actually believe that people should start to just make it up as they go along because I think the racial entitlement system, which is a term borrowed from a recent Supreme Court opinion, that the system we have of racial entitlements in this country needs to be taken apart piece by piece, that it is unconstitutional, that it divides us, and that it is, more importantly than anything else, wrong. That it is wrong. That it is indefensible. That it should not be perpetuated. That it has just become a point of politics for the left they recognize that this is a source of their power and so they don't want to give it up and they they also see that every time someone advocates every time someone advocates for ending the entitlement state they tend to be republican they tend to be on the right and they open themselves up to oh look at that cries of racism just like the the immediate playbook that Al Franken goes to here. oh, it's racist. Trump is racist. (sighs) They will never tire of that. They will never stop saying it. Um, And they don't seem to understand that for anyone who just sees things for what they are, it should be a point of mockery that a very senior Democrat— it kind of reminds me of how, and hat tip Kevin Williamson for pointing this out last night— Saw it on Twitter, Kevin Williamson of National Review. Bernie Sanders does his usual, you know, with the inequality in this country, it has to stop. It's ridiculous, you know? they got the rich, and you got the poor, and it's not okay. And Williamson points out, well, maybe you should give one of your three houses to a poor family. That's right, three houses, the burn. Oh, he just is all about redistributing the wealth. He's all about making things better for everybody. You know, the, the middle class, the lower class, it's those fat cats, those banksters. They're the worst. Um okay do you give me mean, three houses that's a lot of houses i don't even have i don't even have a house never mind three so maybe bernie sanders can hook me up but you see hypocrisy more than anything else is the defining characteristic of the american left these days and those who pointed out whether it's trump by calling elizabeth warren pocahontas or anyone else points out Bernie Sanders is not nearly the authentic class warrior he pretends to be, Uh, they burn with a fiery hatred of those people. Because once you understand the hypocrisy, everything else makes sense. And you also know you just can't trust these Democrats to be honest about anything. All right, we've got more coming. I'll be right back.
0: Buck is back. Hey, everybody. Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825.
1: Buck Sexton with America Now continues. Phones are open. 844-900-2825. Chadwick Moore joins us now. He is a 33-year-old journalist who lives in Williamsburg here in Brooklyn, New York. He has been a, he had been a lifelong liberal Then last September, he wrote a profile for Out magazine of Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, And although the story in Out didn't take a positive stance or any stance on Yiannopoulos, Moore found himself under attack by fellow Democrats, ostracized by longtime friends. And, of course, the trolls, they came out with a vengeance. We're joined now by Chadwick Moore. Thank you very much for uh, for calling in, my friend.
7: Thank you Buck it's great to be here
1: so your piece here the New York Post.com. I'm a gay New Yorker and I'm coming out as a conservative well you know Chadwick I've been a conservative my whole life and I'm just used to living in hostile territory as a born and raised New York City guy well uh, I just want to say welcome to the team my friend jump in the water is warm great to have you here as a as a fellow <laughs> conservative but to tell us a bit about how this all went down you so you wrote this profile and what happened
7: uh, yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed it up perfectly. I, uh, you know, I knew it would be uh, controversial, um, but I, I assumed it would be people sort of attacking my line. Uh, and what what ended up happening was uh, I became the, the the subject of the attack, um, and, uh, and same with the magazine. And so it was just completely unexpected, and I sort of woke up to all these messages, you know, the, the usual the usual buzzwords like Nazi, white supremacist, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, meanwhile, like, they, you know, they never try to sort of look at, like, the things you've done in the past, which, you know, they would have
1: seen. Uh, but um, Wait, yeah. can, I, can I just jump in for one second, Chadwick? So you're telling me that you wrote this profile of Milo, who I've also had on, on radio, uh, I think a couple times before, and uh-huh. you didn't take a stance. It's not like you came in and said, hey, guys, uh, guess what? I'm a conservative, and now I'm writing about Milo. You just wrote about Milo, and they freaked out at you because you didn't call—basically, it sounds to me like you didn't call him a Nazi and a white supremacist and alt-right and all the other stuff.
7: Uh, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. Because uh, I, I, as soon as I met him, I you know, I decided even before I met him that I was going to treat this as I did, as I would any other story, as any other person, uh, and just do a straightforward profile. You know, I'm interested in what motivates people. I'm interested in their background. I'm interested in how they fit into culture. And uh, and that's I just did with Milo the same I did with you know Nick Jonas and George Takei and any other celebrity that I profiled, and uh, and and so that's what was so shocking is that I realized that, that people um in their in their sort of social media uh, bubbles and whatever and the and whatever news they're reading quote unquote news had never ever seen anything that humanized someone like Milo. And that was also very shocking, and it got me to think, like, that's what's going on here. They, you know, they actually believe these things. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And, uh, and that was even some of the things people were saying, like, how dare you humanize him? And I'm like, because he's a human. Uh, you know, and this, and you know, the, the gay media isn't supposed to be a leg of the Democratic Party or of uh, the gay lobby group. It's there to report on the gay community and, and each other, and he's one of us.
1: Yeah. So you're you came out and you talk about this in your in your piece here in The New York Post. You came out as 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 gay a long time ago and now you're coming out as a conservative. And the the comparison you're making here is that it's interesting that now, of course, people are much more uh, accepting. And you said your friends accepted you, your family accepted you in time. But as a conservative here in New York City, there's there's very little acceptance. I can tell you, my friend, uh, it, it's you're gonna have to learn the secret conservative handshake because it's it's rough it's rough stuff out there.
7: You're gonna have to tell me off the air what that is. So uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, you know, I'm in my neighborhood. I've been here, I've lived in this neighborhood a very long time. I can't leave my house without seeing someone I know on the street and saying hi and I am you know, I'm expecting uh, Things to be shouted at me and whatever—it's—it's it's sort of terrifying uh, that it has to be that way. But the left has drifted so far away and has become so um, uh, loony and puritanical that—that. That, uh, but you know, it's more- you are. By
1: the way, Williamsburg. I mean, Williamsburg is—is is the the central the central compartment of the belly of the beast. I think it's—it's it's hard to find a more. <laughs> uh, a more uh, liberal, hipster, self-righteous enclave in, in the country, I would wager. There, there's a, there are a few places that I think would be uh, uh, well ahead of Williamsburg in terms of progressive self-righteousness. But I, I have to ask, I mean, you wrote this profile, you had all this backlash. I understand that this has caused an, an evolution in your thinking about the left. Did, didn't you pick up before on the authoritarian tendencies here? Where You know, you must have gotten a sense be, before this that, here in New York City, San Francisco, LA—you go down the list. All the major cities across the country—Chicago, Miami—you go down a list of them. And primarily, or predominantly, if you are conservative, you are a target for mockery, ridicule, and hatred. I mean, you must have seen this beforehand.
7: Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. And I've, that's why I've never ever registered as a Democrat because I've always hated the Democratic Party. But I've always. You know, thought they were the lesser of two evils, and I had no choice but to vote Democratic. And, you know, and I always rationalize it by saying that, uh, you know, I'm always for the working people over the sort of polite middle-class elites. And the Democratic Party, I always believed, was for the working people and was, you know, sort of pro-union. And this election cycle proved without a doubt that that's not true. And
1: uh, All the and richest parts people, of the country, as far as I understand it, are almost all of are all, <laughs> all went Democrat. All
7: of yeah. Well, and also as a gay person, you're taught that that you have no other choice, and and it's like a, we we forget the history that that you know the Democratic Party wouldn't hold our hand in public until just a few years ago. we were this sort of like shameful little thing they kept in the corner, and then you know as soon as gay people went th- themselves started putting themselves out in the culture more and started changing society's views of them, finally the Democratic Party was like. Okay, we can put you into our, you know, display you in our cabinet of the oppressed, and we love you now. And it's like, no, we don't really owe them that much. I mean, like Barack Obama and marriage equality—I thought that was amazing. That was one of the handful of things I really liked that he did.
1: Um, but and and Look, can, can I just jump in, Chad, to say that you know the kind of, Obama yeah. administration, or I'm sorry, President Obama when he was running. Initially ran as a traditional marriage candidate. He he was not oh, yeah. in favor of gay marriage when he was a candidate, and I did not see any profiles of him at the time saying that he was uh, that he was bigoted, that he was anti-gay, or any of that. Uh, Trump is w- is much more openly pro-gay marriage than Barack Obama yeah. was at this stage of his presidency, and yet Trump is I, I, the, the gay uh, backlash against Trump or the the gay community's hatred of Trump is something that it's, it's inexplicable to me because I look around and I say he 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 doesn't he doesn't say there's going to be a, a return to traditional uh, to traditional marriage. He's not saying anything like that and he's much more uh I guess you could say liberal or however you want but it, he's much more pro gay marriage than Barack Obama was. So there's seemingly a huge double standard here. Absolutely and and Trump, I mean Trump gave an interview to
7: the Advocate, the biggest gay magazine in like 2000 or something. And he's, you know, his longtime mentor is Roy Cohn, who was a gay man. Although Roy Cohn was kind of not the best person, but, uh, you know, he's had gays around him all the time. So yeah, the people freaking out about, about Trump taking away their rights, I I just don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's just part of this, you know, this sort of coalition of of victimhood that, that that has to sort of feel like they have to rise up for for whatever reason.
1: And now, as someone who's, who's come out publicly, you've come out as a conservative. It's going to be rough, Chadwick. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a, you know, it's, <laughs> you got some rough seas ahead here. Uh, but it's uh, something I deal with every day and have for a very long time, also here in New York City. So uh, I, I get the sense that you're probably also dealing with what I deal with here all the time, which is that it is only the progressive uh, left-wing Democrats that I know who refuse to ever just let stuff let stuff be when it comes to uh, when it comes to politics they refuse to give you any respite from the constant harangue the constant harassment the we have you know if I want to talk about this we're going to talk about this everything can be political every aspect of life has to be politicized constantly uh this is this is a specific disease of the left. I, I do not see this. I do not know any conservatives that want to inflict their politics always and at all times on everyone around them.
7: And this is exactly right. And now that I've been paying more close, I've been paying co- uh, closer attention to conservatives and meeting more conservatives and talking to them and, and getting in their heads, it's it's amazing that it's night and day. When conservatives are so much more joyful, they're so much more cheery, they're so much more carefree. And usually that was the, the sort of stereotype of the left, that they're more sort of relaxed and creative and fun. And that's certainly not the case anymore. It's just sort of misery and, and being puritanical and, you know, trying to to dictate what you can think and say.
1: And is there, are there any issues now that you say that since you've come out as a conservative, you feel differently about specifically than you used to? Or this has clearly been a, a long-term evolution and shift in your thinking in response to the way— Democrats act and the way that they've treated you since you came out and and said this, um, are there any issues where you say, you know, I was just wrong on that one for a long time, or I've just really changed my thinking on it?
7: I, you know, I think nothing really that I've changed. I think it's galvanized me to the things that I've always believed, but I would kind of shut up about if I was in a political conversation or, or what have you, you know, and it's really made me Feel more passionate about those things, such as uh, you know, just cons- basic constitutional rights, um, First Amendment, especially. i would suddenly become this massive free speech. Uh, I, I feel it very passionately the, 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 uh, that that there should be no limitation on speech, um, gun rights, uh, free market, and free people. Just the basic idea of that. You know, before I would, you know, kind of shut my mouth talking about regulation or forcing this or that. But um, yeah, it just sort of galvanized me. Like I, this was—it was in me
1: all along. <laughs> is that line from Wizard of Oz? <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, Chadwick Moore, uh, welcome, welcome to Conservatism, my friend. Great to have you, and uh, we're we're pleased that you're, you're pleased you're on the team now. Uh, Chadwick Moore is—you're uh, a journalist based. What, what's your Twitter handle? I'm assuming at Chadwick Moore.
7: Uh, it's at uh, Chadwick underscore Moore.
1: There we go. All right, Chadwick. Yep. Thank you very much for joining. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, All right. Fox Sexton returns in just a few. I'll be right back.
0: Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on.
1: Buck Sexton with America Now continues. Thank you so much for being here. Great to have you in the Freedom Hut with me. We're joined by Mark Krikorian. He is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies a nationally recognized expert on immigration issues. Mark, thanks for calling. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, sir. So let's start with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, they, When they ruled on the temporary restraining order and they kept it in effect, which means that the Trump executive order on immigration, is more or less until a, another decision comes down, is more or less null and void for the time being. Uh, they looked at the efficacy and they said, well, these the individuals that would be covered from these seven countries – uh, it wouldn't do anything because we do not why are they singling out these seven countries well there's a new study that says that 72 terrorists came from the countries covered by Trump's vetting order what's this
6: yeah this is actually from data that the Senate Judiciary Committee publicized last year and but it was about you know uh, people involved with terrorism related convictions uh, from any country and so what? one of our analysts did was go through and say, okay, well, which, you know, how many are there from the seven countries involved here? And uh, what she found was 72 people identified by the Senate Judiciary Committee were from one of those seven dangerous countries. And they were, you know, some of them were involved in, you know, some pretty obvious stuff, conspiracy to commit a terror act, uh, you know, money laundering conspiracy, possession of explosives. Some of them were a part of a plot to get uh, fraudulently get um, hazardous material licenses and commercial truck licenses uh, after nine eleven so um you know this I mean it really does point to the fact that uh, the judges not only were wrong in saying that there's really nothing to worry about here, so Trump just must be picking these countries out of the air these judges really have no business even having an opinion about that question because it's just out of their uh, area of expertise.
1: Speaking of areas of expertise, Mark, I know your organization, the Center for Immigration Studies, looks very closely at what's going on with enforcement when it comes to immigration laws. There's been a lot of back and forth on these uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement raids in Los Angeles that occurred. And there, the, one of the big fights that's broken out around this is, well, are these pretty standard raids, or is this part of Trump's expansion of who can be targeted as a criminal illegal alien in the country for deportation? What, what have you found on that? What is the truth here?
6: Yeah, it's pretty standard stuff, honestly. I mean, the number of people that ICE has uh, apprehended, when you annualize it, sort of, you know, add it up as if it were the same rate over a whole year, it's Actually, you know, it's kind of like the level that uh, Obama was deporting people at. I mean, obviously, they're going to be doing more and different stuff as well, but this isn't some kind of radical departure. I think there's two reasons you're hearing all of this hysteria from the advocacy groups. First is they genuinely are surprised because for eight years they just got used to the fact that immigration law wasn't being enforced. And so they're saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? The other thing, though, is more cynical, and the plan, I think, here pretty clearly is to make as much of a stink, exaggerate, lie, do whatever's necessary in order to make it as difficult as possible to continue and actually deport uh, illegal immigrants, even criminals. Because, look, these open borders folks, they don't even think that criminals who are illegal immigrants, having finished their sentences in jail, that they should be... Deported, they think they should be allowed to stay. I mean, it's as clear. As, oh, they're quite open about it.
1: You mentioned Obama, by the way. He used to speak about deporting illegal immigrants. Play it. What we should be doing is setting up a smart
8: legal immigration system that doesn't separate families, but does focus on making sure that uh, people who are dangerous, you know, people who uh, are, you know, gangbangers or, you know, or criminals, that we're deporting them as quickly as possible.
1: He says we should be deporting people who are dangerous. How, how did the Obama administration do on that score? Not
6: really very good. Um, they were actually um, keeping more or less keeping up the level of deportations uh, that they inherited at the end of the Bush administration. They didn't really increase it much, but they kept it at pretty much the same level until it became obvious that the Senate amnesty bill several years back remember that that it wasn't going to actually get passed by the house and make it to the president's desk so once they didn't have to pretend anymore and appear like they were tough they basically just stopped and not only all deportations declined under the last few years of obama but even the deportations of convicted criminals declined rapidly in the last few years of obama's term
1: now what has trumps uh change really led to. I mean there's the executive order, he's expanded who can be targeted and returned discretion to the arresting ICE officer as to what what yeah. is different now under Trump uh, versus what was happening under Obama as a matter of policy and deporting illegal aliens.
6: Yeah, you put your finger on it. That's the key change. And what in other words, any administration, even Barack Obama's administration was, you know, trying to get rapists and murderers and what have you who are illegal aliens or legal immigrants who turn them make themselves deportable by committing these crimes getting them out of the country so that's really not the i mean they may not be doing it very well maybe their heart wasn't in it but they were clearly that's what they said they were doing and they were doing a good deal of that the difference is that under obama anyone who wasn't a rapist or murderer was basically allowed to stay i mean openly allowed to stay and what's changed is that if now, if an ICE agent, and this is the way it was before Obama, if an ICE agent, say, is looking for a fugitive, and they find the guy, um, but, you know, in the process of doing it, there's four other illegal aliens they encounter. Under Obama, they were had to let those people go and stay in the country. Now, according to the standard practice from before Obama, the officer himself can make a decision as to whether these other illegal immigrants should also be arrested because you're always deportable if you're an illegal alien. It's just that if you're an ordinary schmo and you're not a rapist and there's no outstanding order or warrant for you, they're probably not going to go out and look for you. But if they find you, they now will actually be allowed to take you also into custody and um, return you to your home country.
1: Now, uh, I know we're we're bouncing around here a bit, Mark, but I also wanted to ask you because we. uh... I hadn't had a chance to get you on before on this one about the exchange between Stephen Miller and George Stephanopoulos. Do we have a Miller Stephanopoulos audio from earlier in the week? If you find it, let me know. Um, but they were going back and forth on the issue of voter fraud. And it seems like there's still this standard line for much of the media. You had Stephanopoulos on, what is it, ABC, uh, looking at Miller like he's crazy for bringing up the possibility of large numbers of non-citizens voting What is and he says, "Oh, you've provided no evidence. You provided no evidence. What is the evidence here, Mark? What are we supposed? What what should we believe? What is true when it comes? What do we know is true when it comes to the to illegal immigrants voting or or anybody who shouldn't be voting, voting, including green card holders?
6: Yeah, we don't have consistent nationwide data yet, partly because the Obama administration didn't want to know. So hopefully, we're going to have a more consistent look at it. But people have been. Uh, you know, private groups have been looking at particular states, for instance, looking at Virginia or at a particular other places, and they're finding hundreds of um, people who are improperly registered, and those people voted. Interestingly, first of all, I mean, it is important to note when President Trump said, you know, millions of illegal voters, that's almost certainly not true. It's probably not. I mean, it's not millions. It's a lot, but it's not millions. But It's also probably mainly not illegal aliens. More likely, it's legal immigrants, green card holders, often who think that they do have the right to vote. In other words, they've been basically tricked by the motor voter law. If you remember, that's federal law that says when anyone goes to register their car at the DMV, they have to also be given voter registration papers. And it says on there, you know, in the fine print, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you're not supposed to fill this out, but, you know, a lot of these guys, they're not PhDs. They're just ordinary schmoes. The government has given them a paper. They know they're legal. They're not illegal. They have, a pay, you know, they have a card. And so they figure, oh, okay, well, then I guess I can fill this out. The government gave it to me. And so I think that's the first, the easiest problem we should fix is to stop doing that and to consistently go through all the time matching voter registration rolls to uh, immigration data so that we can basically tell people before they commit the crime of illegal voting look whatever you thought before we're not asking but you can't be registered you better not vote we're scrubbing your names off the list we're not doing that
1: and how what could we do to find out what the what the real numbers of uh, illegally cast votes would be is is it what would be the steps to take
6: well the um what they can do is Basically, the state um, secretaries of state at the 50 states, which are the ones that are in charge of voting, can work with USCIS, with basically with the, fed, with the federal immigration authorities, and match up names and addresses with people that um, immigration knows are non-citizens. They're legally here, but they're non-citizens. That kind of name matching, if you do that consistently across the country, you're going to find hundreds of thousands of people who are improperly registered, many of whom will have voted. And so this is an important thing for the hygiene and integrity of our elections. And, you know, I think a lot of the Democrats figure better 100 illegal people vote than one legal voter somehow, you know, be dissuaded. Suppressed,
1: right, disenfranchised, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So but so you would, be, uh, we got to go in a second here, Mark, but if I said... You know, my estimate would be that there were 100,000 improper illegal votes cast in the last presidential election. Is that is would, would that blow your mind, or does that sound reasonable?
6: No, that would not blow my mind. I mean, you know, millions is incorrect, but if it were 100,000, if that's what it turns out, that actually sounds like it's entirely plausible.
1: Mark Krikorian is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. He's at Mark S. Krikorian on Twitter. Mark, really appreciate your time I Come back soon.
6: Uh, thank you very much.
1: 844 2825 Team Buck, we will be back in a few.
0: The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That, that's, why. that's why he's here. Buck Sexton with
1: America Now.
0: Sharp mind. Strong voice. Buck Sexton.
1: Buck is back with you all now. Team Buck, thank you for being here. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We've got some calls coming in. Let's take them. Uh, Ken in Mississippi. You're speaking to Buck, sir.
9: Hi, Buck. Uh, thanks for taking my call.
1: Thank you for calling in. I uh,
9: just wanted to point out that I think you're Guest that you just had on was a little too conservative in his estimate of uh, illegal aliens voting in elections. And I'll refer you to an article done by Old Dominion University uh, that was published in Electoral Studies Journal that estimates that up to 2.8 million illegal persons voted in the 2008 election.
1: Uh, what was their what was their reasoning behind that, or what were they using as the data set to come to that conclusion?
9: You know, I don't – I've read articles about the study, and I just found the study on the Internet, and I haven't had a chance to really read it through. But I think they were just looking at uh, statistical data on, on looking at small samples where they knew that illegals were voting and then extrapolating that out.
1: Well, I'll have to look at the article. I I haven't seen it myself, but uh, Mark is very deep in the weeds on immigration, so I I tend to think that he's got a good sense of what the estimate would be. But I'm happy to take a look at it, Ken. So uh, you know, send it to me, uh, post it on Facebook or something, or uh, send it an email. I'll take a peek at the study. I appreciate you calling in from Mississippi, sir, and uh, shields high. Uh, we got a we got a guest joining us now, Representative Scott Taylor. He is a former Navy SEAL, and now he's serving his country in Congress. Uh, Representative Taylor, great to have you.
10: Bog, it's great to be with you. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right. Oh, man. Kind of a kind of a rough day in the news cycle last 24 hours for people with an R next to their name. Uh, what what what's your main takeaway from all this stuff with General Fleming? You're somebody who understands this from the political side and also. Being a, a former SEAL, uh, you understand what goes into being National Security Advisor and all the intelligence that's involved and everything else. So what do you think?
10: Well, it's certainly not black and white. There's a bunch of things there. And I've gotten from friends of mine in both the intelligence community and in the special operations community sort of defending Flynn and um, talking about how this this issue – with some of the upper upper echelon is not because of Russia but because of Iraq which is interesting you know with um just military intelligence versus CIA type thing sort of turf war type stuff but I think there's a couple things here you know he he screwed up with the vice president obviously um I think that's that's an issue and it's a political issue that that obviously has a big problem with with the administration but at the same time, you know I, I appreciate General for his service to the country, which obviously is what spans 33 years or something like that. I have tons of respect for him. Um it is a different world. The political world is different, as you very well know. It's not the same thing as the battlefield, and um, unfortunately, the, the sometimes you don't see the enemy or know where they're coming from or anything like that, or who's got your back and who doesn't. I, I think right as, as Maximus
1: great. says in Gladiator, a soldier has the advantage of being able to look his enemy in the eye. <laughs> so.
10: There's no doubt about that. I'm not sure which one. So,
1: we... Go ahead, Scott. Sorry.
10: That, you know, General Flynn's a good guy for sure. I, I admire him and I respect him personally. I think that he obviously made a mistake for not informing the, the vice president. And trust is important. It's important for the, the president uh, outside of Flynn to, to have to be in sync with the intelligence community you've got you know they they need to get there they need to go on the same page sooner than later because the stakes are too high for the defense of this country and um
1: what do you make of, can i ask you what do you make of the environment right now we're in where there are so many news stories about russia that are supposed to be worrying from a national security perspective we've got a russian in a russian intelligence collection ship off the u.s coast you've also got reporting from cnn that uh, missiles have been deployed in violation of of a treaty and russia is now global boogeyman number one for at least the, the media's <laughs> purposes this seems to be this seems to be quite convenient given some of the other political realities that we know of
10: well i think russia's russia's it, it's their frenemies and i and I, I i agree with the president on a couple things saying that listen we should be close to them we should we have to take a hard stance with them but we should be close with, with them in certain uh, aspects when you think of syria for example if you had asked me a, a question about syria five years ago i could be giving you a completely different answer but the reality is they're the ones with boots on the ground and anti-aircraft batteries and missiles and high tech stuff that's there so if there's a political military solution in syria russia will be absolutely be a part of that period so there are definitely and, and obviously there's there are uh, a lot there is alignment in some of our geopolitical and national security interests with Russia. That being said, we have to have a hard stance with them, and certainly in some areas. And I, I, it's crazy to me because politically, there's nothing that has contributed to a Russian resurgence more than the policies of Barack Obama and his administration. And, and now we have to deal with it, obviously. But yeah, I think that while we have to take a very hard stance and quite frankly some red lines with certain aspects of russian foreign policy in crimea and ukraine with cyber stuff as well too i also think that that even in my own party i think people are are beating their chests unnecessarily and uh insecurely and 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 too much quite frankly i'm a little troubled by both parties on, on the russia thing and certainly the democrats and cnn who i've interviewed with a couple times I think they're out of line, man. I mean, I really do. I think they're out of line with Russia in, in some aspects. So,
1: I'm speaking to think- uh, Representative Scott Taylor. He's a congressman for Virginia's 2nd District. Uh, Scott, let me ask you, what's the what's the feeling like right now among your Republican colleagues in Congress uh, down on Capitol Hill? What is the mood like? Uh, where What is the energy pointing towards? And what are you guys planning to do in the days and weeks ahead?
10: Well, that's an excellent question. So obviously we're Dealing with Obamacare now, which you know from a Republican standpoint and a messaging standpoint you've you've heard repeal and replace for eight years, right? And it sounds like it's one thing, but it's not. It's like three things there's three buckets there's there's a repeal through reconciliation, there's executive action with with Tom Price, who just got obviously sworn in as the um, the, uh, the secretary in the cabinet. he can do a lot of executive action. And then there's also legislation, legislative action that we have to deal with. So Obamacare has to be done prior to tax reform, which is the next thing that we're working on really hard. Well, can you tell me
1: why it's, that is? Because there's been some conservative pushback on why is, why does tax reform have to wait? So let me ask you, Congressman, why does it have to wait?
10: Tax reform has has to wait because through the reconciliation of repealing Obamacare, which has, has on quite frankly. Created more taxes, the government has taken in more revenue than they ever have in the history of this nation. Right now, you have to deal with Obamacare. You have to deal with that prior to you do prior to doing tax reform, and that's through reconciliation that we're working on right now. That so. So that's the, the plan: is Obamacare, then ta- then tax reform next. After that, in the meantime, we've also been we've also passed a, a series of, of CRAs, which is the Congressional Review Act, which allows us to to basically deal with – in the last 60 days, the Obama administration has pushed through a bunch of regulations, and we've been able to sort of repeal them, if you will. And we've passed numerous ones of those to to deal with burdensome regulations that the Obama administration didn't pass in the eight years that they were in in the presidency. They just just tried to cram them through at the very end. Uh, I I understand that there is some concern about the timing and, and making sure that we act on Obamacare as well as tax reform and in a quick way.
1: And this this is a, could be a huge boost to the economy. We've been I, everyone every economist that I've spoken to, including some friends of mine on the on the left who who cover these issues and and or, or have expertise in economics as much as a lefty can. Uh, they say that look, corporate tax reform in and of itself could be a major boost. But so you're talking about re- repealing regulations, pulling back Obamacare. And dealing with tax reform that's going to keep you pretty busy anything else that you personally think should be high up on the agenda or that you're pushing for as you represent Virginia's second congressional district
10: of course as you just mentioned the second district you know we have more military and veterans than anyone in the nation and as you very well know and probably many of your friends as well too who are still either have fought or they're still fighting you know we we have a huge problem with sequestration which of course was indiscriminate military cuts if Congress couldn't get their act together in negotiations, and they couldn't, which is now law, which has hurt our maintenance, our training schedules, our deployment schedules, and quite frankly been a huge blow to our national security apparatus and, and readiness. That is something that I'm working on very hard, and, and uh, I'm, I'm very lucky we were able to get on appropriations as a freshman. So we'll be we'll be working and fighting to to deal with sequestration. And for those folks that are out there that are fiscal conservatives, and I believe. That you can do both. I believe you can thread a needle between fiscal conservatives and, and defense hawks, if you will. And part of that, quite frankly, is, is in dealing with the question, is, is dealing with out-of-date programs, military programs, some of them are very expensive, that do not address threats of today and tomorrow, sort of fighting the last war, if you will. I mean there are a lot of politicians out there that are like, we, we stand for the troops. But the reality is if they're supporting programs that are out-of-date and don't make sense, they're hurting the troops because the money sh- should be spent in, in different ways so that um we're working on that we're working on the VA system of course that's a huge issue in, in my district and all around the country uh not just with
1: What do you think of the um, would be VA secretary?
10: I'm willing to give him a chance to see you know to, to see what's happening I'm looking okay. to, with him to work with him you know like I mean he was not, not the answer I was I expecting
1: but I want to hear your answer go ahead
10: Well I know, like he he's he's a holdover from the last administration when you know we've been dealing with a lot of problems. So I'm willing to give him a chance. I I, I don't I'm not seeing I haven't heard of anything that's transformational from his mouth yet. But I'm I'm like I'm I'm willing to to work with him and and help him in any way I can. There are big issues with the VA that is quite frankly it's it's heartbreaking to be honest with you. Some of the issues and I I mean like I said where I'm at I mean I mean we're in the fastest growing. VA region in the nation with OIF and OEF veterans and women veterans as well, too. But it's not just the culture of firing people who aren't performing. I mean, the VA system, think about this for a second. Their operating system runs on DOS. You remember floppy disks?
1: Oh, yeah. When I was the NYPD intelligence division, there were, there, it, was, it was like I was playing Pac-Man in the 80s. I mean, they had the same problem. So this is how government can be sometimes.
10: Incredible. And when you think about that, DOD and VA don't talk. Their, their operating system doesn't. So 100% of the people who are in the VA are from DOD, and they don't talk. That's just ridiculous. So if the VA secretary is willing to you know, to work on fundamental changes like that, I'm all for it, man. I'll, I'll be his biggest cheerleader.
1: All right, Scott. Uh, well, you get in there and do it. I know you will. Uh, Representative Scott Taylor of Virginia's 2nd Congressional District, former SEAL. Sir, thank you very much for your service and for your time tonight. We appreciate it.
10: Always a pleasure, brother. Thank you. Thank you for your service.
1: All right, everybody, Team Buck, we'll be right back. All right, Buck is back. We've got some calls in. Felix in Pennsylvania, welcome to the Freedom Hut, my friend. What's on your mind?
8: Hey, Buck, welcome to America Now. You saved my life.
1: Oh, thank you. I'll take it.
8: Yes, the, previ- the previous post was occasionally causing me chest pains. <laughs> oh, God.
1: All right, what else is on your mind, Felix?
8: <laughs> hey, no, but you know what? My support for Donald Trump is being forged like a piece of Damascus steel. The more they throw at him, this is just infuriating me to no end.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. The more the attacks on him are unfair and underhanded, the, the, I, I also keep, feel like I keep track of it. And I'm just like, you know what? If this is how they're going to play, um, don't, don't expect me to be, well, I'm going to be moderate on this issue. Or, you know, they have some, re- there's some legitimate criticism. Nah, forget it. I'm in the trench. I got a helmet on. Let's go.
8: Yeah. Hey, you know where Pocahontas came from, right?
1: Uh, I mean, I assume it's a play on Pocahontas.
8: I know, but it was it was coined by Rush Limbaugh.
1: I did not know that. Oh.
8: Oh yeah, a long, long time ago. Oh yeah, that's a Rushism. Oh. Now you mentioned something yesterday, and and this El is Rushbo the, uh, himself. Yes, sir. The, yes, Maharashi. Now, yesterday, you had briefly mentioned something about Bill Clinton giving a speech in Russia. Okay. Yeah. The speech in Russia was for a bank in Kiev. That was tied to that whole deal where they sold the rights to the uranium, 20% of uranium of this country, and that bank, of course, has ties to the Kremlin. And Bill Clinton got a, a half a million to eight hundred thousand dollar fee for speaking at that banking
1: interest. That's a that's a good day's work. I mean, you know, should have spent some time in Tahiti <laughs> on the beaches with some ladies after that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's sketchy, Bill Clinton oh, voice. Oh, just oh, throwing oh. just throwing it out there. Yeah, but thank you for the update on the uh, on the Kiev. Angle of it, I remembered it. I just didn't remember the. I mean, I remember the the fee, and it was in Russia or in, in Ukraine. But uh, I, I remembered uh, that there was a problem there. Yeah,
8: yeah, and it was all tied to that deal where they sold out twenty percent of the rights of our uranium in this country to the Russians.
1: Right, and that's it. Isn't it interesting that right now they're not allowed to export, or there's there's some controls in place. But if Hillary Clinton became the president, well. Who knows what would have happened with those with those uranium deposits that were uh, passed over to Russian control? Uh, but hey, Felix, man, I appreciate the support of the show. Uh, thank you very much for being a part of Team hey, Buck, I, my I man. Got,
8: I got a new I got a new name for uh, for Lindsey Graham. I like to call him Schmucky Schumer Light.
1: Um, I don't know if that's going to catch on, but I I appreciate the effort. Shields high, Felix. Thank you for calling in, Larry in Ohio. What's up, Larry?
8: Hello, Buck.
1: Hello, Larry. Oh. Hello. Yes, sir. We can hear you.
8: Enjoy your, enjoy your program, Buck.
1: Thank you.
9: Uh, you've been around the block a few times, and I'd like to run a radical idea by you and see what you think. Yes, sir. This,
6: immigri- this immigration mess has been festering for years with Mexico. Have the American ambassador to Mexico sit down and make a list of all the advantages to mexico their citizens uh upward uh in, increasing their standard of living and uh, and so forth and so on and then list all the disadvantages of uh, not accepting statehood
1: hmm what do you mean, not accepting statehood?
6: We would offer Mexico.
1: Wait, do you mean make Mexico a state? Yep. Well, I mean, you could say you could say goodbye to the Republican Party. <laughs> That's that would be the end of that, my friend. Uh, Mexico was a population of about a hundred million, I think. I, I'm doing it off the top of my head. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you, you, I don't. I don't think that's uh, I... Larry. It's a radical idea, and I give you credit for creativity. But I don't think that's the way forward for limited government and conservatism in this country. But thank you, sir, for calling in from Ohio, and I appreciate I appreciate hearing from you. Thanks for keeping me company here in the Freedom Hut. Speaking of keeping me company, or everyone keeping somebody company, Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine. It's I don't know, a little little late in the game here. If I'm the one reminding you that it's Valentine's Day. You better go out and get some flowers, like, right now. Um, but there's not a lot of historical background on where Valentine's Day com- comes from. Or I should say uh, clarity. Not There's plenty of background. There's not a lot of clarity on where Valentine's Day comes from, uh, according to— Uh-oh, I know. I'm citing the New York Times, so take that for what it's worth. But, see, on I feel like on this they're probably going to tell you what's true. they, they got to be right on some things. Uh, they think that it might have been a Roman bacchanal. Valentine's Day came to be via the ancient festival of Lupercalia, which was. A Bacchanal is like a big party with a lot of booze and uh, nudity and things going on. So there's that. And that's. So once again, we take a holiday that was a pagan holiday and make it our own. We have appropriated so much pagan culture with all of our. Halloween was a pagan holiday, and now we've got Valentine's Day. You go down the list appropriating left and right if the pagans were still around which is a very broad term anyway they would probably matter for appropriating their stuff all right americanoutradio.com slash podcast to play on demand tonight's show please do share it with a friend Shield high